بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد. So brothers and sisters, uh, in the short time that we have, there's only so much that we can cover about marriage. That's why I didn't use a PowerPoint because the PowerPoint I have will be for a seven-hour course, and then you get kind of restricted in all of that. So I'm going to open it up for question and answers, and I like to take a lot of question and answers. And the benefit of that is that in a short amount of time, you can't really cover every aspect of marriage. So then what you get out of a question and answer is what is actually people are thinking about and what is challenging them and what is relevant to them. So that's why we can cover a lot of ground that way. So uh, what I'm going to encourage you to do is to ask questions. And um, the way I do this is that no question should be taboo. Um, ask whatever question you want I may not be able to answer it I might not have an answer to it But that's fine right? Um, but at least that way we'll get the relevant understanding uh, For the specific issues that we are dealing with So let's take some questions And then I've got a, some other points uh, to cover Yes uh, So the question was that now we're in Essentially I think what you're saying is that Essentially we're in a culture of egotistic behavior, uh, fulfillment, uh, self-promotion, uh, ostentation, and, and so on and so forth. So how does one self-critique that when that's become the norm and standard? Uh, it's not entirely the norm and standard. That is what people would like to make it like that. But if we just take a step back and we start really thinking about it, I think we can discover that if there's uh, whenever we're trying to promote ourselves not for a very specific and beneficial objective, then that means that we're doing it for the wrong reason. If we're doing anything for our self-gratification, that's, that's clearly going to be the wrong kind of uh, promotion of yourself. Uh, th there are permissible reasons. If I run a business and I'm doing things within the Sharia parameters to promote my business, if I sell cakes, for example, or sell dresses or sell books, then I can do that. Uh, however, if I'm not selling anybody but myself, so who am I selling? What am I selling? Am I just selling me as a person? And I'm not making any money out of that. I'm not making any... Uh, I'm not trying to guide somebody out of that. So there are grey areas. There are some clearly permissible areas, and there are certainly some grey areas, and there are some totally haram areas. The grey areas are like, for example, a scholar or who wants to be an influencer. They have to be very, very careful that they're promoting that people receive guidance rather than they're promoting their personality. I can see a very great area there and I've dealt with that, meaning as a personal challenge. Because then the way you look at it is that, for example, if I have my own way of doing something and I see that somebody else, another scholar, is maybe getting a lot of likes for their comedic uh, exchange of some sort or for uh, doing something extracurricular, right? Skydiving, for example, right? And they get a lot of likes. Should I do that for the same reason? Then I have to say, stop, that's not me, right? That's not who I am. And that's not for the right reason that I'm doing that. So there are definitely gray areas with this regard. But usually for the majority of people, you must be, I just spoke about this earlier, that let's just say that you are trying to sell cakes. Then that's understandable that you dress up your cakes and you're trying to sell them because you're trying to make money out of that, right? However, if you're just trying to promote that you're a really good cook and everything you just keep putting out there, I would be careful about that. It might not be an ego thing. You might be encouraging 
other people and give them recipes to cook better, that would be okay. But if you're doing this just so that everybody just praises you, I'd be very scared of that for another reason that you might even get the evil eye on your food that you put out there all the time. Right? Because I think evil eye is not just physically, uh, it's just not limited to physical distance. It could be, you know, online as well. So it really depends on how you are. And I, I don't think it's that difficult yet. Once you start getting concerned and you learn a bit about ego and the nafs, then you can really self-diagnose. I think the only person who would never get this is a person who is never worried about ego, now doesn't know what ego is and doesn't know uh, the Islamic aspects of the nafs and so on. Once you learn about that, I think it's ilm. Ilm, is all, ilm and knowledge is always what's going to help us diagnose about these things, inshallah. Yes. Any questions? So the question is that what is the Islamic model of the husband and wife's role in a marriage? If we can reduce it down to that, husband and wife's role in marriage, is there a a role that the Sharia promotes or has outlined and what, what is the guidance around that. So I think in many, many aspects, uh, what the Sharia does is that it actually provides boundaries uh, and limits and directives. So for example, when you look at something like the political system of Islam, there's not, one, there's not only one model that, were, uh, that, uh, that is sanctioned in the Sharia. Rather, if you read Mufti Taqi's book on Islam politics, it'll tell you that it's actually lots of principles and boundaries and guidelines and directives that has been provided, the, the structure could be yours. And I think it's similar uh, like that in marriage, although if we look at the life of Ali radiallahu anhu and Fatima radiallahu anha, the daughter of the Prophet and the son-in-law, then we realize that the Prophet split the outside jobs of the house uh, to Ali radiallahu anhu and the inside to uh, Aisha uh, to Fatima radiallahu anha. So that's a good world. Uh, that that's a perfect, uh, you can say, uh, a perfect uh, model to follow for in a traditional home, right? In a traditional relationship where the wife is not forced to work. The the guidance is that the wife cannot be forced to work. Only in the situation where the husband tries everything and they're really struggling, then maybe she, you know, then then it would be praiseworthy for her to maybe help. But it's not required. It's never required. Man can never force his wife to work. That's just not a shit. So there's boundaries like that that we can, we can discuss. Now, if we, if, we, if we look at modern families, uh, in some cases where, in some cases the wife is actually making more money than the, uh, than, than the husband. So what do we do in that situation? Um, does that give her justification? For example, we've got calls here, justification, uh, or we've got calls to justify that he must then do literally half of everything in the house. If that's what you want to do, that could be permissible to do. There's nothing against that. But that's not the traditional role usually. And if the husband is bringing enough money into the house, then it depends, do they need the wife's money or not? Sometimes it could just be that they just want a career and they just want to make lots of money, but it's not really required. Does the husband then have to do half? Not necessarily, because that's not really his role. When he say half is half of the household chores. If you look at the Prophet ﷺ, there were definitely household chores that he did. We'd have to really get into that. He did mend his clothes. However, I've been looking, he never cooked. And I don't ever see that the Prophet ﷺ cooked a dish. He would come home after Fajr, I mean after sunrise, is there any food in the house? Right? I mean the wives never cooked in many occasions because they didn't have anything to cook in some cases. Right? So yes, we do talk about that. Uh, there was just dates and water or vinegar and bread, right, in some cases. But you don't hear about that. 
So, um, however, if that's what they want to comfortably do, that's completely up to them. Um, we have cases where there was a case of a, a couple who are both lawyers. This is in America where there's a big kind of power struggle in terms of where you graduate from, in terms of where you did your law degree and that uh, kind of ident uh, puts you in a certain uh, position. So the wife had a better law degree from a better university than the husband. Eventually that led to a divorce because it was quite crazy. It was quite crazy. There's, there's just so many factors involved here. I'm just trying to give, um, I'm just trying to give uh, some, uh, some general laws here. Uh, if a wife wants to, do a, uh, wants to go and work, right, and you know, fulfill her career uh, demands in that sense, but the husband is making enough to support them, then she, she can't oblige the husband to do half the work in the house inside the house, just because she's outside as well, because that's not the Islamic model, the, the, the basic Islamic model there. If they both agree to do that, or he wants to be a stay-at-home a stay father, right, and he does all the inside and she does the outside, that's not necessarily encouraged, right, unless she's got a proper halal job, right, where there's no, uh, you know, there's no uh, going against the Islamic limits, but she's got a wonderful home-based business, for example, she's making loads of money, that could be okay. So there's a traditional model that we know. If you want to go against that or you want to adjust that, it could be permissible as long as they both agree. But there is a general model that would be encouraged. I hope that gives some idea of what we're uh, trying to look at here. I mean, because there's no doubt that the mother is just a much better mother than the father. Right? And I don't think that we can make this so fluid. Right? Because there's just certain things that the women only women can do that only women can do like nurse breastfeed and certain other things that a man cannot do at least not yet and hopefully never right because i know there's lots of uh, you know things going on out there you understand what i'm saying so there's just the woman uh, allah has just created women just better equipped for that role i don't get it i mean i know i'm getting off the topic here but i just don't get it where a woman is, for her career, she will leave her children with a stranger. Like, I just don't get that, especially if there's no need for it. If there's a need, okay. But you're going to pay the, I mean, this country you pay, right, a lot of money. It's not Pakistan where you can, buy, you know, get a driver for £100 a month, right? Or a cook for £100 a month. Here you pay, right? I just don't get that. Like, I just don't get that. But there are cases where it might be possible, where it might happen, right? Where it might even be necessary. So yeah, um, question. So so the phrase. Uh, so so the question to phrase your question. You're saying that in some cases, you know, you have this maybe modern concept of uh, attraction for one another, uh, love at first sight, and so on and so forth. And then you have the other aspect where, in many cultures, they don't really care about that, and they just want to get somebody that's going to be uh, a spouse that's just going to be wonderful for the family, or they think they're going to be wonderful for the family. Right? So none of those, none of those are correct. The, what Islam would recommend and what just decency, what just reasonable understanding, what good relationship would just demand is that you get, a, you get the best of both worlds. That you try to accommodate both of those things. And they're not mutually exclusive things. You can definitely get somebody that you're attracted to and that's why Islam says, go and look at them. Uh, one of the Sahaba, he got uh, engaged and the Prophet or he got married. And the Prophet ﷺ asked him, did you see her? He said, no. He said, well, you should see her because that's going to 
help to create more permanence. We've got some cultures where they don't allow you to see some extremely, extremely, uh, you can say, ultra-conservative, uh, extra-conservative cultures where they don't even see. And I've dealt with, I had a friend in South Africa who was from a certain place in India. India has multiple cultures, so you can't even paint everybody with the same brush. He was from a very specific, very, very ultra-cultural uh, area where you, you don't see your, your spouse. He says, I cried on the day of my, my marriage. I cried on that day. Okay? And now I'm speaking to him after, I think, 12 years of marriage. So he's from India, but he's an imam in South Africa, and his family had finally come. And he said, I've just gotten, it's tolerant, tolerable now. Otherwise, they did not like my wife because I just could not find any. But their culture was that you can't even divorce because then massive things happen. And they're very debilitating. And that's not Islam. That is not Islam. If you look at the Sahaba, they were, they, they were divorced. They, were, they got remarried. And it was just so easy. It was just so easy to do that. We need to create that because there's a lot of curbs in this and there's a lot of women who are depressed because a lot of times women, women get stigmatized and blamed for a divorce in a lot of cases. And in some cultures, women who are divorced can't get married again. It is so messed up. A woman called me, she's got two children, she got married secretly. I said, what? And now she's having a problem with that secret marriage. I don't, I don't, I don't really, uh, I really say don't do that, right? Um, and I said, why did you do that? She said, well, my, 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 my family would disown me. Why would they disown you? They'll take my house away. They've, the family's got an extra house that they're letting her use. If she gets married again, they're going to disown her and take that away. Why not? Why? You, look, you've got older children. Like, aren't you embarrassed to get married again when you've got older children? Like, what kind of a weird idea is that? In the Sharia, we actually have an encouragement to get married even if it's your last day in this world. Like, you don't want to be, you actually don't want to be single before you die. Like, if you're really, really old and your husband died or your wife died, you should get married the next day. That's encouragement in the Sharia. Right? That's what Islam wants everybody to be married. That's, that's what you want to be. So you've got some really bad cultural aspects here, and I think that's what we're, we're speaking about here. You want, to get the best of, you want to get the best of both worlds. And that's where you have to lift the culture out of all of this. And the parents need to work with their children. A lot of parents want their children to marry their cousin. Right? Because they've promised them from... And this is worse in some cultures, in some cultures than the other. Right? And I think I'm sitting with a lot of people from a very, very debilitating culture in that regard. Right, I have to. I have to highlight it. The Punjabi culture. Are you guys many Punjabis here? It's very debilitating. One thing the Gujaratis have a lot of problem, but they don't have this aspect. Right? They do. Uh, I mean, there are some cases, but uh, you're, uh, I've seen people who've lost their lost their iman. A woman called me. She's about forty years old. I figured out eventually. She asked me about a very specific issue of I don't know salat or something. You know, only somebody who's really into their deen would be worried about that kind of a thing. And then. As I continue to speak to her, she says she's married to a non-Muslim. <laughs> so how do you reconcile that? You know, it was a broad question about Islam, then I could understand. But it was very specific. You know she's particular. So then she explained that when she was younger, she was forced to marry. And then after that, she just ran away from the faith. Because a lot of parents, what they'll do is cloak this in Islam. Right? You have to listen to your parents. Yes, you do have to listen to your parents, but not when it's harmful. You don't have to listen to your parents when it's harmful. I hate to say it that way. But if it's oppressive, if it's uh, suffocating, if it's bad for you, you don't have to. Especially in the Hanafi school, uh, the, the wife, uh, the, the woman has to be consulted and has to permit her nikah. 
after she's mature, she has to be agreeable to that nikah, otherwise it doesn't even take place. Right? It doesn't even take place. So that's how that's our Islam. So it needs to be a bit of both. Uh, if you do want your children to marry somebody, then you need to both be on the same wavelength from a younger age and do that tarbi in the same way so that you can assist them and they can assist you and you can come to some agreement. You never speak about marriage. You never speak about what the likes and uh, dislikes are. You never speak about what is good or bad. And then suddenly when it comes time to their marriage, you're like, you have to marry this person. You're not on any common wavelength. And if you wanted your culture, you should have stayed back in that culture. Now that you come to England, right, you, you can't help assimilate. For example, about me, there's nothing about me except myself that is Gujarati right now. Right? This shawl of mine is Yemeni. Right? This cloth is from Pakistan, but it's made in Saudi style. My watch is Japanese. My pen is American. Okay? My hat and my turban is Turkish. And my socks is uh, next... Uh, no, it's actually Kirkland, uh, Costco, I don't know, made in wherever. What's Gujarati about me? Do you understand? But I love the Gujarati culture, the good parts of it at least. Every one of our cultures has good parts, but they also have suffocating parts. And until you don't free yourself of that, you're going to be a major problem. But you can't divorce your culture either. That's crazy. Because a lot of people, they say that, I want to marry converts. Great, you can marry converts and we need to accommodate them. I said, why though? Because our people come with baggage. Right. You come with baggage? Is there any converts here? No. Don't converts come with baggage? Everybody comes with baggage. It's just the baggage you don't know. So you're just a bit dissatisfied with the baggage you know. So you're like, I can escape that baggage. And a lot of time what people do is that they actually stereotype. And I really hate that. Uh, so because the people that you know who are Muslim, they come late. So like, all Muslims come late. I mean, my Turkish friends, they don't come late. My Turkish Muslim friends that I have, they don't come late. It's only the Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshis that come late. Do you understand? Or not even all of them, I'm stereotyping. But not all of them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Never stereotype. There's wonderful Gujaratis and Punjabis and Bengalis and uh, Pathans. And, you know, there's good in everybody and there's weird parts in everybody. So, uh, and, and this modern world allows us to look at it that way. So... Uh, basically, you should get the best of both worlds where there is a functional person you're going to have, but then you're also attracted to them. And that's not difficult. That is not difficult at all. I mean, you can get that. It's just as long as everybody's on their favor and there's no pressure or force to marry somebody that you're not inclined to. In fact, I challenged somebody recently. Um, he was complaining about a certain marriage in a family that was breaking up. And both the, young cu the couple, they were both born in England. And there is this idea among the older generation, the first generation who came here, that the girls from England, right, the girls from England, they don't look after, they don't, they're not really good for household uh, things because they're just worried about their desserts and things like that, or their clothes and, you know, whatever they, they go on about, they're saying, right? And you must bring somebody from India. So I know that family very well. I said, look, can you tell me, from not the first generation who came from India, I want you to show me that we have at least three or four people in this family who are the wives that were brought from India, right? Brides brought from India. Can you tell me which one of them fits the bill you're talking about? So it's a cultural thing that they think is the case. He couldn't give me because all of those even Indian brides that came from India have all moved out. 
they've not been able to stay with their in-laws. So are you really serious that it's still the case even with a bride from India? No. The girls in Pakistan and India, they, 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 this is postmodernism we're living in, right? And it's affected those countries as well, right? It's affected everywhere. Unless literally you go to a you know, Mauritanian village somewhere, you know, they've not any outside dimension, they've not had any, you know, that I can understand. But India, Pakistan, forget it. Unless you're really from some very specific village where it's, it's really what it was before 100 years ago. It's not like that anymore. But people don't, they don't realize that. They think that the one they're going to bring from Pakistan is going to be much superior. That's really putting down the British girls. Right? That's really messed up. Like you can't find somebody within your culture that's decent. That's why you have to go to another culture. Again, I'm not against culture. But I'll tell you something. Getting married in your own culture is much easier than getting married into another culture. Because already, you know, there's already struggles of getting married to an individual. There's so many things you have to learn. You add another culture into that, there's like 10 other things or multiple other things you have to worry about. If it's the same culture, chalo, we know, you know, we know one another, right? At least we don't have to worry about that aspect. Because remember, then your family has to get involved in cultural, cultural expectations. And if people are sensitive about you getting involved in our cultural, you're not, you're not, you didn't come to visit us, you know, when somebody had a child or you didn't come and stay this many days or whatever, subhanAllah, there's a lot of stuff in that. So I would say that we're still at that level in this country, just second and third generation yet, where culture is still important. Right? So we only, we're getting rid of bad culture, we're keeping our good culture, but eventually I think it's going to become a very mixed culture, inshallah, a good one. Right? Uh, because, I mean, at home, most of our food might be Gujarati, but we still we cook pasta, we cook lasagna, we cook pizza. Right? And that's not it. That's British culture or Italian culture coming into that already. I mean, don't you guys all do that? Right? Then we have Moroccan harira soup, we have Moroccan tagine at home, right? we have uh, Mediterranean uh, lentil soup, we have hummus. I mean, I can live on hummus for a week with, with good bread. Right? That's not very Gujarati. Do you understand? But that's where we are now, but it's still going to take some time for people. Like my father, when he travels, he has to take, you know, he can't eat other kind of food. Uh, that's one of the biggest struggles. I have no problem. Right? So there's still, it's going to take time to adjust. So don't, uh, don't throw out your culture. There's good aspects of all culture. Right? And you want to keep those. You just want to get rid of the bad aspects. And you want to assimilate other good aspects of other cultures. Turkish culture, uh, Somali culture, uh, Punjabi culture, uh, Bengali culture, whatever. You, know? you can take the best out of all of them. That's where we are now. That's the world is a new place. Responsibility of bringing up daughters Does it specifically fall, uh, fall on the shoulders of the mother? No, it falls on the, uh, on the It's the shoulders of both of them They both have a responsibility However, you can't expect the father To be teaching them about feminine issues So that would be, you can say More responsibility of the mother However, the father is ultimately responsible So if his wife cannot teach Will not teach Or whatever the case is He'll have to find somebody to teach To give them that information so ultimately, the responsibility does fall on the father because the father is the responsible man. When they say he's the head of the household, that means responsibility. It doesn't mean dictatorship, that he can come back and stretch his legs and have everybody do his bidding. Right? Uh, it's really about responsibility that the buck stops with him. So while the mother is also responsible for whatever is her department in the home, right? ultimately it is the father. But if the mother has shortcomings, then she will be sinful as well. Right, but the father, he's, he has to keep it all together. Yes, yes. I think in some cases, uh, people do have 
high expectations in a marriage because they've idealized marriage in the wrong way. And um, a lot of people are, have not been taught marriage in, with the right environment of their parents, have not tried to teach them the best akhlaq and character in anticipation of marriage. Right? So what they do is they've picked up what a marriage should be through movies and um, other glamour magazines or glamour situations or influences or whatever the case is. And the problem with those is that they usually end up in divorces anyway. right? So what we need to understand is go back to the Islamic aspect and the boundaries that are created. And uh, that's what I tried to do in the beginning, right? to try to provide what we're supposed to do is an objective, which is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fulfill a sunnah, be, uh, be p- the best parents that you can be for the next generation, and become a wonderful piece of the fabric of the community. So yes, definitely, I think uh, there's been an over-idealization uh, 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 o- o- over of the wrong ideas in marriage. So we need to come back and understand what the real aspects are of that. I'll take this and then there were some other hands, I'll do those. Very good point. How do you find a spouse and not date? How do you find a decent spouse without dating? So dating is not an answer to everything. The problem with dating is that you date somebody. For the first few days you'll be at your best. Then you let your guards down, get informal. My weaknesses and defects will become noticeable. And then they're like, okay, we're not married anyway. I can forget this guy. If we get married, and then there's going to definitely be weaknesses that you'll see, but you've already invested into the marriage, so you'll do better. However, that doesn't mean you go and just marry anybody. Okay? What you don't want, what you want to do is, this is just my suggestion. This is not the only way. My suggestion is that when you identify somebody, a potential spouse, go and find out everything you can about them beforehand through asking common folk, right? Friends of the family and others. And that won't be too difficult if it's some, and that unless they're like total strangers and nobody knows them. That would be a bigger risk to take. So try to find out everything. Then go and propose and then go and meet them just to clarify any further things. So already you've done your 50%, you're very satisfied. Now you just have to, or 70% you're satisfied. She just has, or he just has to say yes now. I just want to make sure their voice doesn't sound crazy or something like that now, right? Do you understand what I mean? What you don't want to do is go and keep meeting people and then discover things later that you could have found out before and then say no. People don't like being let down. And it's not good for your record that you've seen seven people and still haven't been able to find somebody. I, I, get really, I, I find that really weird. I've seen seven and I can't find the right person. I went to the first one and I, that was it. Like, I just don't understand why people have to go. There's people who say, I've, 10 years I've been looking. 10 years I've been looking. Maybe your criteria is too messed up. It's too restrictive. And remember, the older you get, the more particular you become. When you're younger, you're very flexible. You're willing to take risks. Even psychologically, mentally, you become much more risk-averse when you're about over 25. That's why your insurance is higher when you're, when you're younger. They know this, all right? But as you get older... You become more particular, you've had more experience with people, so you know how people work, so you become more particular. But the pool of people that might be interested gets smaller. So you're fighting against time, and then you have an expiry date. And women have a closer expiry than men. So you have to, you, you have to do it sooner than later. 
So try to, this is my idea, try to find out as much as possible from uh, you know, outside that you can, about them, common friends, etc. Hire an investigator if you want. I'm just joking, right? <laughs> get your sister, uh, like if it's a guy, get your sister to interact with them or a cousin to interact with them. If you're, if you're a sister and it's about a brother, you know, get your, you'll learn about personality that way. <coughs> you know, in some Arab cultures, the mother or the auntie will go and she'll literally actually even check how much flesh on the calves. Right, just to see that, you know, she's not some really thin, tawny, you know, person. And in those days, I guess maybe it was, you know, uh, that was an important thing. What uh, some Yemenis do, I heard, is that they'll take the prospective groom to Umrah. Because in traveling, you figure out everything. So the men will take the prospective groom for Umrah. So they figure him out, like, how does this guy work under stress? All right. There's multiple ways. Use any means possible that you can figure these things out. Just be creative about it. Right? Yes, if you've just got a flame online somewhere, then you know, that might be more difficult. Right? Unless you're very resourceful and you figure out people in that local area and so on. That's how you do it. Then you just have the questions that you can ask. So you can ask uh, you know, some questions. In my book, I've got 50 questions you can ask, but please don't ask all 50. Right? They're not like a whole set. That you... It's just to give you ideas. What is relevant for you? Don't go in with a list. Because I remember one uh, couple, they just didn't, because she felt that he was interviewing her, in that, interrogating her. So uh, find the questions and uh, ask the relevant questions to you. From that, you can understand personally. Give them scenarios, maybe. Don't just ask, what's your favorite hadith? What's your favorite Quranic verse? Right? Don't just ask kind of you know, open-ended questions like that. Although that could be very telling as well. I don't even read Quran, man. You know, it's like, I don't know. I've never looked at translation. I don't know what verse is my best. So be creative. I think be creative. And uh, inshallah, that way. And then after that, you, leave the, you do istikhara. And you make mashwara with the right kind of people who know both of you. Then trust in Allah. I know a guy who got married without even talking to his wife. Because 30 years ago, that wasn't a big culture. He saw his wife. He didn't talk to her. He wanted to hear her voice because she was from another town. He's particular about accents. So in those days, he got his sister to call her, and he picked up the other landline phone where you could, and he's like, okay, her voice sounds okay. Right? Because that's important. For him, it was like accent was an issue, and she was from, you know, Birmingham, right? For example, you know, or Braffer, right? Or Wusu, right? So uh, that's, you know, whatever's important for you, you need to have that checked out. Because remember, you also want to know about their families Because you're not marrying an individual You're going to get, there's some family involvement You're going to have to be there right? So it's always good to understand their family Always good to understand And sometimes you can actually find out behavior of certain people from their family Although that's becoming less and less Because we're individual, there's individualism now And you don't get children who think the same as even their fathers and mothers anymore right? Everybody's on their own wavelength now but that's another way of doing it. I think the, the, the less you know, the, the more difficult it is. So that's why you could get into one of these Instagram marriages, right? Where you don't really know much. And it could work out wonderful. Or it could be a problem. If that was me, I would probably find some contact where they live and figure things out. I'd call the local masjid to see if they know that family. Literally, that's what I would do. I'm just giving you ideas. I'd call the local masjid there and try to find out from them if they know that family. Give me a contact person that might know that family. And then I'll ask them questions. I'm just saying you have to do the best that you can. Okay, let's take some of these questions, inshallah. Wow. There's essays here. This is a very sensitive question here that let's just say that somebody had 
a previous haram relationship. Do you have to disclose that? The problem there is that you are not allowed to reveal a sin. So we shouldn't be saying our sins aloud. However, if the person, it's going to cause a big issue, you can try to skirt the question if it's something they never will find out. Then you can just kind of dodge the question somehow and just move on. If it's something that is going to be found out and that's going to be seen as a massive breach of trust, because trust is one of the most important factors of marriage, I'll tell you that right now. If you've done something wrong in your marriage and you get caught, meaning they find out, own up to it and deal with it that way. Because if you lie and you get found out, that's worse off. I'm just telling you that from experience. It's just much better to be upfront and say, I'm really sorry I made this mistake. Okay? Unless you can get away with it. Because sometimes it's just better because some people can't deal with problems. Right? There, there, there's a give and take in that. Recently I dealt with a case where a woman gets married to a guy and she thinks he's never had any previous uh, encounters because they're from a very decent family. Half is in the family and so on. And then suddenly uh, she finds an envelope and in there it's from the sex health clinic or sexual health clinic or whatever. Okay. You know, she would have ignored it, but it says sexual health. What's going on here? I find out it's for a test for STDs or whatever. Like, what's going on? It's just, she's just been married for like two months. And you can imagine, it just blew her mind. Like, what's going on here? So now the guy came clean. He said, look, I've had, a, I've had some relationship in the past. And before my marriage, I just wanted to take this test to make sure I don't have anything. Now, shaitan is there and she's like, uh, she said, Alhamdulillah, you're actually not consuming the marriage for some reason or the other, right? So, but I felt really bad that he hadn't told me and he's going to put me under, you know, he's risking this with me and so on and so forth. And I calmed her down. I said, look, he's just, this particular woman is very efficient, very particular. She's very organized. And the husband, I understood from what she's saying, is not very organized, Bichara. He wanted to take the test, but he delayed, delayed, delayed. And then after that, and then he didn't even get rid of the evidence and all that kind of stuff. Just poor guy, right? So I said, look, don't, don't discount him straight away. This is probably what it is. Don't think everybody's like you and they would have sorted it out and everything. And the fact that he had issues. Do you trust him now? Right? Yeah, I do trust him. Because... Right? You have to give people a chance. People have made mistakes. People have made mistakes, right? So Alhamdulillah, I think she came around and said, yes, it was exactly what I explained. I said he probably wanted to take the test and he just couldn't get round to it. And uh, he then took the test, Alhamdulillah, and they're fine now, right? So there are these kind of things that will come about, but you're not supposed to reveal. That's the idea. But if it's... it's both ways. Both ways. Both ways, absolutely. I mean, it's haram, right? To reveal. Uh, but you can't misrepresent either if it's something that's going to be find out you have to be very careful about this I had a case of a guy who no, a woman called me and she said that my husband wants to divorce me we've only been married for I don't know several months or something I said why? oh he found out that I had relationship two years ago or something so he what you know and I was like I felt really bad for her I said that you know people make mistakes so I said okay uh, that's wrong right. then her husband calls me and uh, so what's going on? Why are you divorcing your wife for? Like, are you so perfect? You know, you may have never had an issue before, but 
you know, she's made Tawbah where he says, no, no, that's not the real reason. That was my excuse. So what's the real reason? I don't like the way she looks. I said, why did you marry her? This is, this is a very good example. It's a very important one. Yes. Why did you marry her then? Like, why did you get married? I mean, because this wasn't a case of those cultures where you can't see the wife, right? Um, he said, because she had loads of makeup on. Right? And it was totally different afterwards. She masked herself, essentially. She had a mask on. Right? So I said, why don't you just tell her that? That I don't like the way you look. And you had that. He said, I don't want to make her feel bad. Can you see this whole dilemma you're going into? I said, you know, the, what you're doing uh, is wrong. You don't have to tell her that you're ugly. Right? Because she might not be. Just, you don't like her. Right? You can just say something like, look, you had makeup on and I couldn't see you. And I'm just not attracted to you. You don't have to call somebody ugly. I'm just not attracted to you. People don't have, you know, people don't have to be ugly to not be attractive. Do you see what I'm saying? I said, but tell her the truth. So that she can learn a lesson from this as well, that she masked herself. That's why I think that women don't mask yourself. Because you don't want, that, that's no deception. You shouldn't do any kind of deception. Uh, some people, they sell their children by uh, packaging them. Right? And he's a drug dealer, or he was a drug dealer. Right? Oh, he still is. And they think that by getting married, they're going to sort him out. That's very, very wrong. To package yourself or your children to get married and then there's a deception in that. You, don't, you don't, definitely don't want to do that. How to deal with having a higher sex drive than the husband? What I would suggest, if somebody has a higher sex drive than their husband, they should have a conversation. They should have a conversation. Relationship within a few months of your marriage to, should be eventually to such a degree that you could discuss anything. I know some of these things take a bit longer, right? but eventually you need to come to a level where you can discuss this. Now, I don't have the details here of what that means. Like, what does that, how many times a week and so on. Because if the husband is not even obliging once a week, that's a problem, especially at the beginning of marriage. That's an issue. Maybe he's got an issue or whatever. So there could be a lot more to this than meets the eye. Now, if the husband is providing a service twice a week at least, right? And that's still too less, then have a conversation. Now, the husband might not want to get into the full act, but there's other ways of fulfillment that the husband can oblige, right? So think of that way. Like, you don't have to go the full way. You can, uh, you can use other means and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, or is it, yeah, again, I don't know enough details, but a lot of the time, I'll tell you, since we're on this topic, a lot of the time what happens is that the men are selfish and the women don't want to take part and the men are complaining that she's constantly refusing and making excuses like, I don't want to have to wash my hair, I don't want to have to have a shower and just too, it takes too much. Usually what I tell the men is because you guys don't know what you're doing and you're very, very selfish probably. A lot of men, they don't know how to please a woman. Like literally, they don't understand foreplay. It's in our religion, our fuqaha and jurists and hadith have spoken about this. The West didn't know a lot of this. I don't want to get into that. It's in my book. The West didn't have a, a female orgasm. They didn't know what that was until the early 1900s. The doctors literally used to give females orgasms with their fingers to get rid of anxiety. That's why they developed the vibrator. The vibrator. It's crazy, it's stupid. It sounds weird today. Over-sexualized world we're living in. Check the, check the history, it's there. Uh, Islam has known about all of these things and Muslims have known. If you look at Ibn Qudama's book and the hadith about this, it's very, very clear. 
One of the hadith says that the best woman is the one who is extremely chaste, but extremely adventurous when it comes to with her husband. Right? There's, there's clear hadith, it's in my book, I don't, there's a whole intimacy section in there about... Uh, so I'll just leave you with one thing for the men. Right? The reason your wives don't enjoy it is because you're selfish and you're just fulfilling yourself and you're giving and she's made to feel like a an instrument. Right? I'm being very blatant here, right? Because a lot of marriages are on the rock because of this, they're not satisfied. So that's why I've dealt with cases where they're coming up with small, small issues. And you know when you've had that experience, you're like these can't be issues of breaking your marriage. What is the real issue here? And then you eventually discuss is sexual frustration. But they're not willing to speak about that so openly. So this is a suggestion from a friend of mine. And it works. right? I've said that to a lot of people. I think it's in my book as well. Men should wait for their wife to complete twice before they finish once. Then you'll have no problem. They got something in there for them. And they'll be more than willing. But if there's nothing in there and it's just your satisfaction in terms of the men, there's a problem here. Right? Uh, when it comes to you know, the wife having a hired, then I need to understand what exactly is going on. I need a bit more information on that. Okay? Inter-premarital, okay, in terms of premarital counseling, should sexual expectation and such behavior, uh, such, and please write legibly, man. Um, Sexual expectation and such be discussed with him. No, I don't think. I don't think so. There's one convert once. I was in Canada and she says, there's somebody who wants to speak to you. So she's a convert, been, you know, had been through a very bad background. You can say come through that. She's like, Sheikh, you guys need to make an AIDS test obligatory for a marriage. So I thought about it and I said, I don't think it's that big of an issue, yet. And I think now they found cures. I mean, this was a while back. But should there be STD tests that the husband or wife must take? I don't know. Do you think it's that time that we should kind of encourage that or obligate that? I think in Turkey they do that. Is it? They do that. Because it's getting quite bad. It's getting quite bad, subhanAllah. I just got a call the other day. This guy, he... He said there's a woman that he hooked up with somehow. She approached him in the town center. And uh, she works close to where he is. And they'd be online con- contemplating marriage. And one day she just decides in lunchtime to come and visit him at his house. And uh, he said, I, it was a mistake. But I said, okay, I was about to go to work. And she comes in. But she knew exactly what she wanted to do. Can I give you a hug, please? And then hug. And within a few minutes, it was all done and dusted. And now she's pregnant. And can she have an abortion? I said, well, let her call me. Like, I can't give you the answer. You know, he uh, was distraught, very, very distraught. It, it's it's the, the sexual freedom and uh, looseness is just really, really bad. That's something to think about on another level anyway. Okay, next question, please. Um, yeah, so I don't think sexual expectations, no. That's going to be a very tough discussion. And then it could easily lie. So you're going to say, I want it five times a week. Like there is a woman, she um, had a child and then after that, it must have been several months after that, she said, he wants it five times a week. My question was like, what are you feeding him? (laughs) Right? Um, That was just the... But as I said, what I discussed earlier has got a lot to do with it. It's about compassion 
and thought for the other. If both couples, right, one of the adabs, one of the adab is that if both couples are worried about the other's satisfaction, that will make life a lot easier. You will get your satisfaction in that. But that's what you need to be concerned about. Yes, Empath uh, narcissism is very difficult uh, to get rid of. Uh, to, uh, so what it is, is that I deal with, I've dealt with a number of questions regarding a husband mostly, or a wife, who does X, Y, and Z. So I say that, tell your father. Sorry, tell his father. He doesn't listen to his father. Uh, tell his brother. He doesn't listen to him. Tell a friend. He doesn't listen Man, tell the imam, local masjid. He listens to nobody. He's always right. Okay, what am I going to do about it? I said, you're gonna, that if you are in that situation, then there's a power struggle here. And the tension is this, that if I... So look, the husband knows exactly how the wife works, how much to push her, and how to intimidate her. And likewise, the other way around usually. But it's usually the women who get the raw... You know, deal in this, right? So, the idea will be that the way to get out of this or change the status quo is only one way, is to change your strategy. So, you can, you can no longer just keep nagging the way you were or protesting the way you were because he already knows that. That doesn't work. You've tried it for five years. It doesn't work. So, come on. Like, it's not going to work. What a lot of people are waiting for, they're not willing to take a stand. A stand means, okay, I'm not having this anymore. I'm going home. That's already been dealt with in a number of cases where the guy is going to say, you are divorced. Basically, I'm going to divorce you. I don't need you if you're going to do that. Now, this woman wants to stay in the marriage. Question is that, is he genuinely sincere about that? They usually make it out that he is. So then she's scared about that. But then there's no way out of it. Then do sabr. But if it's so lacking, if it's so difficult... You have to take a stand. I, there's a woman, a woman started calling me about seven years ago. They were still sleeping together. And there were some big issues that they could not, that, that they could not uh, resolve, right? Well, she's already called me about after 10 years of problems. Finally, she's asked somebody. I said, look, you're going to have to take a stand. No, I'm too scared. I said, well, there's no other option. He doesn't listen to anybody. She's tried to bring everybody in, but it doesn't make a difference. I said, you're going to have to take a stand. You're going to have to do a gamble here. Take a stand and see if it works. Oh, but what about if he divorces me? I said, there's no other way. You either change the tactic and use soft power to overcome him. Women have soft power, they don't use it sometimes. Right? They use the wrong type of power. So sometimes you can actually win somebody over with soft power. They don't use that. So... They try the same old things and think that it's going to be a miracle. Right? Allah is only going to answer if you make an effort and use different tactics. Okay, then I don't hear from her for two, year, uh, two years or something, calls again now, I think. So she calls me after two years and the situation has worsened. And I'm telling her, look, you're going to have to take a stand. Only you can do this. Nobody else can make a decision for you or change the state. You've already tried everything. I'm still too scared. Finally, she calls me again after another two years. We're not even sleeping together anymore. But I'm scared of divorce. I said, well, there's no two ways about it. Sometimes a divorce is a better situation. Other cases where they've taken a stand, yes, some has ended up in divorce. But in other cases, it actually got better. The husband 
was just was just threatening. He loved her enough or loved the family enough to not let it go and actually forced him to change. That's why what I've started doing in my bayans and khutbas, I'm literally asking people, is there anybody here who is always right and never wrong? Anybody? Who's always right, mashallah, because I'm looking for that person. That's the person we're talking about. If, uh, so you don't have to reveal yourself, but if you are a person who thinks they're always right, then you are causing a lot of problems to others. That's a narcissistic personality. The only way you can overcome that is through a different type of, a different strategy, soft power, or ask for a calamity. A lot of these people will not sort themselves out unless a calamity hits them from Allah. And then they get humbled. You don't want that way, right? So if you are a narcissist, if you are always right and a narcissist, then are you waiting for a calamity? I've seen a person who was very arrogant in a sense. And then eventually he got a sickness, very debilitating sickness. He became such a humble guy. Is that what you're waiting for? Unfortunately, in our culture, there is... Uh, fathers are very narcissistic Some men are very narcissistic They just think they're right And it must be the way they do They think things And I don't know what the solution to that is I don't know I can't, We can't give man, uh, There's no magic There's no magic to this Unfortunately And usually I'm talking to the wife Not the husband If I'm talking to the husband I'll really get, tell him But I'm not And he doesn't want to talk to me You see what I'm saying You see the dilemma here So I don't know what the solution to that is Yeah are they the same thing, lacking empathy? No, sometimes you don't have to be nasty, but you just don't, you see, there's personality types. So for example, you know when you do that, that uh, what's that test called? Myers-Briggs. The Myers-Briggs test. You'll find that some people are just naturally not very, um, uh, don't have much empathy, but they can learn empathy. You don't have to be uh, a narcissist to not have empathy. So for example, they've got one, uh, I'm not sure if it's in that test or another one, where the person is a logician. So they don't know how to be empath uh, uh, to be emphatic. Uh, no, empathetic. empathetic. Not emphatic is like yeah, empathetic. However, given the they do learn quickly because they may have never done it. They may have never seen their father do it or their mother do it for that matter. So they don't, don't know how to do it, but they learn on the job. And some people who are very narcissistic, they probably don't know how to do it. So you read the Bible. I don't think they both have to come together. Yes, one. So let's put it this way, usually pornography is a bigger issue in men than women. It is definitely an issue in women as well, but uh, on a much lower level. So that, that's where we start from. And what I, I, I've done a recent uh, guidance video on that, which you can look at, but the main thing I tell women, because they're usually the ones, they call and they're just totally devastated. And I'm telling her that, look, don't be devastated because unfortunately there's a lot of people who do that. I'm not saying that to justify it, I tell them. But don't feel it as an affront to you. So for women, they feel that aren't I enough? This is a competition almost. This means that I'm really not sufficient. So no, you are, could be sufficient. But this is just too much. This is, this is over the top. And because it's so easy to access... A hundred years ago, if, you, if anybody wanted to do something, you'd have to go out of the house and find someone to do something with. Now, within five minutes, you could have 20 different people that you see in whatever posture or position uh, that you want to have. It's a major 
Uh, I don't know what Allah has intended with us, but uh, you know, I think that people before could have just been much more purer by default because they just didn't have even possibility of this. Whereas now it's just so easy. So then I tell the women usually that you are in the best position to be the therapist. If your husband is a religious guy who has something to do with religion and he's probably feeling very guilty because this is an addiction and he probably doesn't want to do it, he probably feels bad every time he does it, right? That's one aspect. So what you need to do is you need to tell, look, I understand you're doing it. Don't get so distraught that you just become paranoid afterwards. But understand that this is a problem. He's probably not going to go to anybody else. There's very few people who can help him but you. And you need to talk him through it. And if he's got the consciousness of Allah, then eventually you will be able to help him. But you're going to need a lot of patience to do that. That's one thing. Second thing is the the wrong things uh, that are learnt from pornography and people wanting to act that out. So that is something that cannot be done. I've had a case where the wife was fine. After five, six, seven children, she was actually going to leave the husband because he wanted a certain position which was haram. That's the only way he gets satisfaction. That's the only way he gets satisfaction. So he's had flings with others because of that. And she's, mashallah, you know, she's a religious person. She, 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 you know, she just doesn't want any part of that anymore. She might have given herself up to those weird vices, but she doesn't want to do that anymore. So finally, she's like, I'm out. So uh, alhamdulillah, we managed to bring them uh, together again and uh, get, uh, get it down to a level that, it's, uh, you know, that they, they're not going to uh, consider that anymore. So we do get these weird vices uh, that, that come into it. And uh, the other thing that we just like to... I mean, I, I hate to repeat things, but pornography doesn't represent reality. Like from what I've, uh, what I've read is that they will show somebody in an, in an act for 20 minutes. That's not possible, they say, in real life. That's just stitching together various... Uh, videos or whatever it is that they do or they don't show you everything in between and men think that they're impotent because they can't last 20 minutes something like that then I've had cases of the guy wanting to bring other women into the picture and flings and threesomes and all of that kind of stuff these are all harams right? these are all harams and one needs to recognize in various positions haram positions and things like that and other vices and all of that kind of stuff more of this needs to be discussed, I guess, in Jumu'ah bayans and things like that, so that people are, uh, get to understand that they're going over the top. Because then when their wives don't want to oblige, then they want to divorce them or threaten them or say, I'm going to find another wife or I'm going to uh, have a, uh, what do you call it, a mistress. Or they go and visit prostitutes. We've had that case as well. People visiting prostitutes because the wife doesn't give them what they have. That guy needs some serious islah of the nafs. That's what the problem is. And these guys will come and say, look, this is an addiction I have. What do I do? Like I go to prostitutes. I can't help it once a week or something. So with one guy, I mean, I said, look, give me a call after next week. And I want to hear from you that you've avoided it. I think the first week he said, I avoided it for like five days or something. And then... I just couldn't help it, right? He was honest to me. 
Alhamdulillah, the next week was better, the third week was good. Then after that, I lost touch with him. But if you've got that kind of a problem, you want to get out of it, confess to somebody and tell them to supervise you. Tell them, I want to report to you. And start some dhikr. Start a dhikr regimen. It's the only thing. Love of Allah is the only thing that will help you. Addictions are really, really bad. So the only thing that I found that people is if you get consciousness of Allah, then because Allah, you know, you're conscious of Allah, that's the only thing. Otherwise, it's a very difficult one. Anyway, I can't go into it too much right now because, you know, we've got other questions. But there's also a website, I think, protectmygaze.com or, or purifyyourgaze or something that takes you through a... And pay and system, yeah. So if that works, that's great. But get help. Uh, any questions on this side? How how much does a person need to have? Like, if we want to give a list of things. So, while salat is important, but marriage can survive without salat. All right. Hate to say it that way, but if somebody doesn't fast or uh, pray, but he's got a decent character, that marriage could still survive. His relationship with Allah has definitely got a problem. But if we're talking about characteristics and advice specifically related to marriage, it's about, for a man's perspective, the ability to earn and provide. That's one thing. Number two, to care and compassion. And uh, uh, number three, sufficient knowledge of the required responsibilities of what he's responsible for. For education, upbringing, tarbiyah. And, and, and all of that I think that's probably Because look, the Prophet ﷺ said I am the best of you to my wives And then he also said I am the best of you in character So if you look at all of the Islamic Departments That are uh, Out of them, the most relevant To marriage is good akhlaq and character And that's why we dis Discovered anger and stinger and all of that That's all character that has the biggest impact because those are the individual issues that people are going to have an issue. Uh, people are going to have problems with. So character is probably the most imp important aspect of it. That's why you have people who are not very religious, but their marriage is fine. Not spiritually between Allah, but their marriage is fine. Right. So we don't want to say one or the other. Uh, so you know when the Prophet ﷺ said that usually <coughs> women are sought out for marriage for four reasons. He's saying that because he's talking to men, right? That's why, otherwise it's a similar idea the other way around that what do women usually look for in man, right? So he's saying for her beauty, for her family lineage, for her wealth, and then for her deen. He said, make sure you're successful with the deen. He didn't discard the others though. If you can get all four, it's great. But then when we say deen, what does that mean? Just make sure she's covering up and praying? No. No, that's important, but it's for the man as well. How is she going to be? That's why in another hadith it says, Marry the very fertile women and the very loving women. There's a number of other descriptions that are uh, hadith that if a woman is somebody, that, uh, is someone that her husband, when he looks at her, she, uh, she, it makes him happy and, and so on. She will go to Jannah. There's a number of different hadith like that that give you characteristics of what you're supposed to be looking for. So I think that's probably what it boils down to. For for women, 
I've asked a lot of men, like, what is the one thing that you would want from your wife? Like, it was just one thing. And usually the answer is, oh, let me ask you, what do you think the one thing that you need from a wife? I think mostly it comes down to respect. Good food and all of that is there, but respect is really the most important. Why? Because that's a hierarchy. That's why my wife's advice to anybody is, don't get, for women especially, don't get married to somebody that you can't respect. Who's lower than you. What does that mean? So one example is that if your husband is from another country, from your native uh, ancestor's country, and he doesn't speak English well, and for you that's a problem, then don't get married to him. That doesn't mean they're all like that, that that's going to be an issue, because there's people who come and they're very savvy, they can deal with matters, and that's not an issue for you. That's why they say don't get married to somebody shorter than you, for women, right? Because there's that, you, you might not respect them. That's why in Islam, if a woman does marry herself off to somebody who's not compatible according to the norms of compatibility, the father has got a right to go and protest that. If she marries herself up to an equal or, or better person, he doesn't have a right in the Hanafi school to go and cancel that marriage. But that's one thing. Find somebody you can respect. If you are a higher potential earner or a higher degree holder and you won't respect somebody with a lower degree, then don't get married to them. And if you can't just find anybody, then, then you shouldn't have studied that much. <laughs> to know what else you say. Do you understand? It's just... That's why they say the wife should be seven years, I mean some people say seven years younger because women have start losing themselves earlier than men do and there's lots of these other social factors, physiological factors. They all make sense to a certain degree. Typical question on culture. That's a very important question on highlighting the rifts in culture and the, the, the pressures of culture. So what the question is, is that somebody wants a very simple nikah or uh, doesn't want certain things to be there How do you do, deal with that? Now that would depend The answer to that is and the, and the family wants some kind of big glamorous wedding And wants to spend lots of money and waste money And all the rest of it What do you do in that situation? Very difficult one That depends on your personality and your family So for example, I push back And I had no problem in pushing back too much Because they know I'm a very independent person Who who's asserts his way so I managed to, but in some cases I did it in a strategic way. For example, I had this thought that we're going to go to another town to pick up the wife. So you take, you know, because they've invited the family, so you take, uh, you know, there's this tradition that you go with a whole group of people, 50 people or whatever it is, right? Now, I didn't want any of my extended family members to not be in hijab when they went. Like, I, I don't want them to be without hijab. So I could have... I mean, imposing it on them would be difficult. So what I did was, I said, while I was sitting with my aunties, I said, you know what? I want everybody to have a certain style of dress on. <laughs> and uh, it'd be wonderful if you can come up with something, you know, including the head covering that everybody could wear and they can all look the same. MashaAllah. They, they took that on board. So even my aunties that don't cover or didn't cover, they, mashallah, everybody was covered that day. You know, just, and they made these very fancy burqas, right? And alhamdulillah, so you have to use strategy. When I came back, they tried to not, uh, they tried to not let me in the house saying that we're not going to let you unless you give money. There's that tradition. Right? <laughs> and I said, look, 
I said, look, you want money, I'll give you money. But I'm not giving you money for this. Right? So I'm not giving you money for this, but you want money, I'll give you money afterwards. I, I, that's just how I am. But not everybody's like that. Majority of people are just followers. Majority of people cannot stand their ground. They find it very difficult. So then you try to get at somebody. You just have to play, play it right, strategize. How can I convince them otherwise? One of my students got married recently. Not a very strong character in that regard. He said, although his family didn't want to do anything crazy, but I don't get it. Does it can anybody tell me the wisdom that when you are in the wedding hall and everybody's eating, they play music? Okay, forget music. They play nasheeds now. Does anybody know why they play nasheeds when everybody wants to talk and so on? What's the wisdom behind that? Exactly, but what's the point of the music? Why do something like that? Atmosphere. People are getting suffocated. You're not enjoying the music. It's like I go into a restaurant and it's like giving you a headache. You want to talk. People get together. People do things taqlidan. They have no sense. This is the debilitating aspects of culture. Okay, they're playing nasheeds instead of music. But I said, why do you need them? Okay, if it's for a grand entrance, understandable. After that, let's, let me talk. You know, why are you playing music? So people do crazy things. So I have no problem in having a huge wedding. Permissible, absolutely permissible. Spend thousands, feed 10,000 people. Nothing haram about that. As long as it's not to show off, not to copy somebody, and you're not doing it with overburden where you're going to be suffering for the rest of your life. You got the money, you got to know a lot of people, you can feed 10,000 people. But don't do stupid things in there. Like, don't do stupid things in there. Don't do things that are not practical, not reasonable. Do things because they make sense. And if everybody can think of it, but the problem is everybody can't. There's a certain standard that's been set and everybody has to do that. But not majority of people are followers. There's only a few radical people in, in each community. If they go wrong, they're really messed up. Right? Because they go against the grain. If they go right, alhamdulillah, they can do a lot. So stand up for yourself. Having said that though, you do need to play along with your family on permissible things. The only place you cannot negotiate is on haram things. But anything which is permissible, you might want it simple, but they want, you know, they want to, mashallah, okay, let's not make an argument about that. That's what I would say. So I wouldn't have a problem with that. If you can't really change everybody, you can't convince them, let them have their day as well. <coughs> I've had a case where the poor woman, she called me, she goes, we are married now. But we're not rukhsati nehuyabi, like they're not living together, and the father's prohibited the son from intimacy. So, and he's trying to listen to his father. I said, that's really bad for the parents to even do that. Once you're married, then do what you want. So, absolutely, you can go. Your father can't tell you not to have sexual intercourse. Once you've done nikah, you've given him the key, you can stay in the house, it's your wife and your responsibility and especially you've got a sex drive, then what are you going to do? Like, here's a cake, you can only look at it. It's just not right. And I don't know how parents can think that way, they're living in another world. They're living in a, they, they've come from a non-sexualized world 50 years ago, where it was like that and you could, but now you can't. Do you understand? So that's unreasonable. You have absolute right to go and be with your wife. 
maybe just try not to have children quickly, you know. Um, that, that's what I can say, right? But yeah, it would be permissible for you. Uh, you. I don't think the father has a right to tell you not to have sexual intercourse. That's not right. When you have to obey your parents, it's in halal things. If he's trying to stop you from even a mustahab thing, if you do, it's not going to encroach on them, then you're allowed to do them. With all politeness though. If you find somebody with good character but who doesn't pray, what should you do? Well, you have a choice. Right? All I would say is this. There's some guys, they're like, I found a girl, she's beautiful, she's everything. She just doesn't wear hijab yet. But inshallah she will. I said, look, do you really want to take that risk? It's up to you. Right? Because remember, love is that you find a few qualities and you think that's it. That's it. You want to get a package. So I'd rather be safer than sorry. Because this could go either way and then you're just going to be constantly waiting and then she's going to be pressured or whatever. Likewise, the other way around. So, yes, the, mini, the marriage might be fine, but what about concern for Allah, religion and children? Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's right. I mean, I'm not encouraging that marriage. I was, maybe this is a question based on what I said. I'm not encouraging that marriage. I was just saying that to try to highlight that akhlaq is one of the most important aspects of a marriage. Just like the ulama say that if you've got fairness and justice in a society and kufr, that society will run better than one that has iman, but no justice and fairness. Because the specific ingredient and constituent for a successful society is fairness and justice. And for marriage, it's akhlaq and character. Yes, if you don't have iman and on, there's definitely going to be problems. Like we've got justice in this country, but we've got lots of issues. Likewise, a marriage where they are praying and fasting, it's going to be many issues. But the marriage itself, just as marriage, marriage, which is not enough, but that will survive. There's another thing that um, what a lot of women will complain about is that my husband doesn't do anything. Right? So sometimes the husbands don't do anything and they do think. But sometimes they just don't do certain things. So you have to actually take that to somebody who say, like, are they doing enough? Right? Sometimes you might, be, you might be judging your husband or wife based on what somebody else's husband or wife are doing. Okay? So don't do that. You know, really look at it holistically that uh, is the job coming. There's another thing. There's a lot more about child rearing. They say that a father needs to be like a friend to his children. I don't get that. I don't even know if I agree with that. Have you heard that before? Father needs to be like a friend to his ch- children. Then, what do you, then where's the father gone? Right? Having said that, that doesn't mean that you need to be that weird father. You know? Do you understand what I'm saying? You need to be an open father. You're still a father, but you can relate to them. So I think there's a, there's a certain thing that there's sometimes misunderstanding of what a father needs to do and what a mother needs to do. However, I've written in my book that if you're the, if you're the guy and you're not doing the male things in the house that are usually seen as male, like fixing a tap, right? sorting out the socket or the plug, and then your wife has to go and do that, that's going to create an upset uh, uh, in the balance. Right? Where she has to do the male stuff. Right? That doesn't mean she can't do it. She might even be better than you at doing it. And likewise, you can do the other way around. But usually, traditionally, uh, that's what the case is. Because what I've seen, uh, maybe we'll just end with this, is that because the man is supposed to be the head of the house, if he doesn't play that role properly, it upsets the marriage Totally. Now you could have a very, very assertive wife, very assertive, 
She will never be happy though. So what's going to happen? She's very assertive. She wants her way. And the husband is not strong enough to deal with that. So he's intimidated and under her. But she's never going to ha- be happy. She's going to constantly complain, you're not a man. It's a really weird place to be. Right? It's a really strange place to be because the wife is like, my way, but then she's not happy because the guy is not playing the role. But she won't let him play the role either. And he, doesn't ha- he lacks the courage and the know-how to play the role as well. It's a really bad place to be. Now, in some cases, that can still work, right? Where the wife is like, okay, I'll deal with these matters. Uh, in most cases, haven't you seen that the children are more scared of the father than the mother, right? And the mother's like the go-to person. I've seen a minority of cases where it's the other way around. The mother runs everything and they're more scared of her than the father. They'll escape to the father. He's the refuge. He's scared of <laughs> <laughs> but, but to be honest, in some cases, what we have is that the father is the oldest child in the house yeah. for the mother. She literally takes all the burden and she has to look after him like an older child. So we've, we've got multiple occasions, you know, multiple kind of models. Yes, brother. How to go for namaz. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. lots of stuff. There's lots of stuff. It's just the wrong expectation. But sometimes the husbands do take more time in one thing than the other and they do miss out on certain things. So it just depends. Like there's no... Uh, you'd have to like really talk to somebody reasonable in your family. It doesn't have to be a scholar that, look, this is what they're doing. Do you think that's enough or not? And then try to correct your view. Because if you are feeling undercut by this, it's just going to cause more problems in your marriage. So go to somebody that you trust to have a reasonable understanding. And as I said again, try to get help sooner than later if you've got problems. Now, don't go and start asking for help for every small issue. Uh, Try to resolve that yourself. However, if there's a persistent issue that's giving you sleepless nights, essentially, then go and get help sooner than later, because what's going to happen is this. We don't have a board, but it's very, uh, it, it's, it's very easy to understand this. Um, it'll be too difficult to set it up in good time. I'll, I'll just show it on the picture, right? Uh, on, on the thingy. So let's just... Can you see this picture here? Essentially, it's a straight line. Husband is on one side, wife is on the other side, right? They've got a little issue, so there's a little dip there. Small issue. That means, imagine that if I've got a little issue with the wife, I'm in a little trench, I'm in a little dip. Because it's such a small one, we can easily come out and sort it out. If you don't sort it out, you're going to have another one, and then it's going to get deeper, 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 and then you're going to be submerged. Now for you both to climb out and sort it out is much more difficult. The longer you leave it, and the more issues, because they'll all pile up. It won't be one issue. That will lead to other issues. Eventually, you're going to get so entrenched on both sides that you're going to become like, and you'll be able to see this one. You see that? Yeah? That's where you're going to be. In your own trenches, you just can't even see one another. You can't see anything. You're both against one another. You might be able to hear them, yeah. Right? <laughs> Climbing out of that and then filling that up to get back, that's a very good depiction to understand. You don't want to get that far. How far are you getting? You see that it's getting worse by the day. Go and get help. And people don't want to because they're embarrassed. People are going to find out, man, this is going to be worse. You're going to end up in divorce. Everybody will know. And your, children are going to, your children's life is going to be punctuated with a massive divorce. 
So you, I, I didn't talk about children right now, but that's why you're getting, your children are going to be... So uh, you really have to think about this. You know, a lot of the time what happens is, uh, one thing I've noticed is that if my in-laws are a bit weird, right, they might be, I take that out on my wife. She's a reflection of them. So I keep complaining to my wife that you, your dad did this, your, your father's doing this. Don't do that. If she's not that, then try to separate the two out. A lot of people do this. They reflect all the bad qualities of their in-laws onto their wife where she's innocent. She's trying her best. Don't conflate that. It causes massive issues in marriage. It causes massive issues in marriage. Your in-laws might be jerks. Fine. You're married to this girl, right, who's decent. Or the other way around, you know. Uh, don't, don't do that. Always look at the good qualities. Otherwise, there's so many things that you can... And then, especially if you have children now, why would you want to mess it up? Because you don't want to be divorced with children in the picture. Then that's a whole other malicious... Uh, gives rise to so much other malicious acts in there. So, uh, treat your wife as an individual. And if she has problems, let's just say that you are a very easygoing, delayed procrastinator. And she's on the ball and everything. You just find that she's like overbearing. And look, you're going to have to learn to live with that. You meet halfway. Or you're the efficient guy, always on the ball, and she's the lazy lead back, and that just bothers you a lot. Look at the overall picture. How's it going? Look at the overall picture. Has she got some goodness in her or not? You can't have everything perfect. That's God's challenge to you. Are you going to fail in God's challenge? Because you wanted perfection which is impossible to get. This wife of yours will be perfect in paradise, inshallah. And that's where you're going to end up. That's why my book actually covers divorce. Because divorce is a reality. People need to know how to do it. Sometimes, you know, when I'm conducting a nikah, I will actually speak about divorce. And you know what some people say, like, why are you talking about divorce? Exactly. The, why are they... the reason I speak about it is that because, you know, in a nikah ceremony, you get people there who never come to a masjid, who never listen to Biyan. They never come for Biyan anywhere else, but they'll come here because it's a nikah khani, you know. So they need to hear this, that one divorce is more than enough. You don't give three divorces. Tell ten people of your family that one divorce is enough. They think it's three is enough, and then that's a point of no return. They just knock out three straight. So uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot more to cover. But I'm glad you guys had a lot of questions because then we were able to discuss. Otherwise, I had a lot of other things to speak about. But yeah. yep. Okay. Jazakallah khair. What I will mention is I was going to talk about a love bank account. Right? So every husband and wife, because remember, uh, uh, marriage is not a ritual. And marriage is not a, a set of do's and don'ts. And it's not just reduced down to a few rights. So for that, what you need to do is have a love bank account. Who's got one of those? I mean, you can get them online. Uh, who's got a love bank account and a balance in there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't know? Anybody got an account? Anybody got a balance? I know Ismail does. Yeah, you, you have to obviously put uh, deposits in there. I mean, you can't once you get that. Is a love bank account. Deposits? Of it's a love bank, so there's deposits in there. Has anybody got an account? No? It's like, you know, Starling, Monzo, you can sign up online. A joint account. No, no. 
what this is is this. I'll tell you what it is. It's essentially that if I do anything over and above what's expected of me, then what I'm doing is I'm actually creating a love bank balance in this invisible bank account between us. Do you understand? So if one day I bring flowers for my wife, it's not an expectation. What I've done is I've now what's the benefit of that? After two days, I might have a little little misunderstanding. Shaitan comes along after every uh, every misunderstanding, like oh he hates you, or he's got someone else. So they just Shaitan just exaggerates the whole thing. Now if you've got that balance, she's like no. Two days ago he bought me flowers. He can't hate me. Do you understand? Or yesterday he took me out for a meal. Or you might say that oh you know she she made that really that my favorite dish or something like that. So this is where you go beyond what's the normal expectation and you show empathy and love and uh, contribution and you know, all of the rest of it. You're adding to the love bank account. Now the love bank account requires constant deposits for it to be healthy. You can't just deposit once and then after that expect it to last forever. Like for example, any dentist here? Any dentists? MashaAllah. So now tell me, this is tomorrow's Sunday. So somebody thinks that, you know what, I'm always rushed in the morning uh, to go to work. Then I have to even take my coffee to work, you know, in a cup. So what I'm going to do is on Sunday, I'm worried about my teeth. So on Sunday, I'm going to brush my teeth for half an hour. So that I don't have to do it for five minutes or three minutes every day. Is that okay? It won't make a difference, yeah. So it's harmful. That's actually harmful. It's probably harmful to brush your teeth for half an hour, I'm assuming. So there's nuance there. But you, you, you understand what I'm saying, right? It's a constant... You have to give constantly. And now, uh, so for men, right? So generally women like flowers. So if he bought you flowers, you'd be happy, I'm assuming. Unless you hate flowers, right? But what about if he bought you the same flowers every Friday that he brings you every Friday? It's like, here you go. Same old flowers every Friday. Would that be still nice? Unless you really like those particular flowers and they... It's just that it's, no, gifts are a surprise. There's a surprise element in a gift. So if the guy is just like, I have to do this, I have to buy flowers from Tesco every year, that's going to be a problem. So now, however, if every week he's actually, okay, you might get some score in that, right? But if he went and found different flowers every week, wouldn't you get a bigger balance? Right? So it's that kind of a thing. And believe me, once you start doing that, it really contributes to your marriage. You get a lot more bandwidth out of that. You get a lot better out of that. Do that. Always be thinking about the other partner and what you can do for them. Right? That's a, one of the best advices to finish this talk on, I think, inshallah. So, love bank bands, everybody get an account. Okay? Naam? Okay. Jazakallah khair. Let's make a quick dua. اللهم أنت السلام ومنك السلام تبارك يا ذي الجلال والإكرام اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اللهم يا حنان يا منان لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين يا الله have mercy on us يا الله we ask you for your, from your special grace we ask you from your generosity we ask you from your love oh Allah oh Allah we ask you from your forgiveness forgive us our wrongdoings our heedlessness our negligence our laziness our transgressions and our sins. Oh Allah, we ask you to forgive sins that we remember and especially those that we have forgotten about. And especially those sins that have now become part of our life and we no longer even consider them sins anymore. 
Oh Allah, we ask that you forgive those sins that have brought darknesses in our homes, that have taken the blessing and the barakah away, that have taken the love away, that has caused conflicts with one another. Oh Allah, we ask that you grant us beneficial knowledge, that you grant us the true understanding of love for you, oh Allah, and for your messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And for all of those that we're supposed to love, oh Allah, those of us here who are married, bless them in their marriages. Grant them righteous, righteous uh, children and progeny until the day of judgment. And oh Allah, bless their relationship and make it, make it like the relationship that your messenger Muhammad وسلم, had with Aisha radiallahu anha. And oh Allah, bless them in that relationship and grant us empathy and compassion and, and compromise and uh, the ability to apologize. And oh Allah, resolve our conflicts and do not allow us to get stuck in such a way that it is harmful. Oh Allah, we ask that you allow us to get uh, the wisdom to understand anything and grant us good character. And oh Allah, those who, don't, who are not yet married, oh Allah, grant them righteous and pious and wonderful spouses with whom they can live in harmony and and, and become better members of the community and society and contribute to your faith. Oh Allah, we ask that you grant us all suitable and, and pious and righteous partners and make them the, the source of gladness for our, for our eyes and our happiness and allow us to unite together in paradise and, and be together in paradise. Because what is paradise without a spouse? Oh Allah, grant us righteous spouses, grant us, grant us and make us of those who are the imams of the righteous ones. Make us imams of the righteous ones. Oh Allah, bless all of those who've uh, attended this program and especially those who've organized this program. And oh Allah, allow this to help to secure a better community for individual families and individuals who are better connected to you uh, make for better families and better families make for better community and society. Oh Allah, allow this to be accepted for that. Allow this to be enhanced and protects us from all the pitfalls and the ills and misrepresentations and misunderstandings and the wrong kind of ideas about marriage. And oh Allah, grant us true understanding and show us the truth as the truth and allow us to follow and show us the wrong as the wrong and allow us to abstain from it. Subhana rabbika, rabbil izzati amma yasifuna wa salamun al-mursaleen. Alhamdulillah. The point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials Certificate, which you take 20 short modules and at the end of that inshallah you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind, you can continue to, leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.